1: Let's get started.
0: I think everyone realizes that the first atomic bomb used against an enemy was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan. That first bomb was dropped on August 5th, 1945, and it killed 129,000 people. Then it was three days later, another nuclear bomb was dropped, this time on Nagasaki, Japan. That bomb killed 226,000 people. What people might not realize is that two months before these two bombs were dropped, an important report was written by a group of physicists at the University of Chicago and had been sent to the Secretary of War at that time. The scientists who wrote the report felt that they were morally obligated to warn the public and the policymakers, like the Secretary of War, about the dangers of using nuclear weapons in an inhabited area. These scientists and others who worked on the Manhattan Project, which was the research project that developed these atomic weapons during World War II, they realized that they had truly changed the world forever with the awesome power and terror that they had created. For instance, at the first open testing of the bomb in New Mexico, Robert Oppenheimer, the so-called father of the atomic bomb, recalled the quote from the Bhagavad Gita, which was a Hindu text, Now I become death, the destroyer of worlds. Since the warnings in this report didn't appear to have much impact, it was just a month after these two bombings that these and other scientists on the Manhattan Project founded an organization called the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists of Chicago well, this independent, non-profit organization is still in existence. Now it's simply known as Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, and basically it operates as a media organization whose goal is to educate citizens and policymakers and scientists and journalists by providing non-technical but scientifically sound and policy-relevant information about nuclear weapons, climate change, and other global security issues, all with an eye towards reducing human-made threats to our existence. Scientists who have held leadership positions at the Bulletin have included Albert Einstein, Robert Oppenheimer, Linus Pauling, Harold Urey, Paul Berg, David Baltimore, and dozens of other famous researchers and Nobel laureates. These scientists anticipated that the atomic bomb would only be the first of many dangers presented by modern science, ranging from climate change, cyber attacks, the misuse of genetic engineering, and artificial intelligence. In 1947, when it was realized that the Soviet Union was also developing atomic weapons, this group came up with the concept of the doomsday clock, The doomsday clock was meant to be a metaphor rather than an actual prediction. It's a clock with a minute hand that's approaching midnight, depicting how close to extinction the human race is. That first year, 1947, the clock was set at seven minutes to midnight, which was doomsday. In 1953, during Soviet testing, it was set to only two minutes to midnight, by 1991, it was set back 17 minutes to midnight after the superpowers agreed to nuclear arms reductions. Since that time, however, the clock has been inching its way towards midnight, generally getting closer and closer to proverbial doomsday. The doomsday clock has been reset 23 times since 1947, always in the month of January. And this January, it was January 23rd, 2020, it was reset again. And I thought you'd be interested in hearing, where is the clock now? Is it moving closer to midnight or further? And why? So let's listen to their announcement. What time is the doomsday clock set at now and why? Providing the welcome and introducing the panel of experts at this January 2020 press conference is Dr. Rachel Bronson, president and CEO of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Here she is.
2: Good morning. I'm Rachel Bronson, president and CEO of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. I would like to welcome you to this news event sponsored by the Bulletin in partnership this year with the elders. We will hear shortly from the elders chair, Dr. Mary Robinson, the former president of Ireland, and its vice chair, Mr. Ban Ki-moon, the former Secretary General of the United Nations, about their focus on the increasing threats posed by nuclear proliferation and the climate emergency. Shortly, you will also hear from members of the Bulletin Science and Security Board, led by our chair, Dr. Robert Rosner, and from the Bulletin's executive chair, Jerry Brown. We are grateful to all of our partners and supporters from around the world, some of whom are here today. And I want to particularly recognize the Harris School of Public Policy, located at the campus of the University of Chicago, where the Bulletin is headquartered. A school committed to training tomorrow's leaders to tackle humanity's greatest public policy challenges. The Bulletin is thus joining with tomorrow's leaders and today's most authoritative political ones, to assert that the current environment is profoundly unstable and urgent action and immediate engagement is required by all. We are here this morning to update you on the Doomsday Clock and our concerns about the challenges posed by man-made threats to our existence. The Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists sets the Doomsday Clock each year to help answer two questions. Is humanity safer or at greater risk this year compared to last year, and this year compared to the nearly 75 years we have been setting the symbolic clock. November 2020 will mark the 75th anniversary of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, an organization founded by scientists and joined by journalists, religious leaders, political leaders, and civic leaders and activists around the world committed to ensuring that science and technology are used to advance a safer and healthier planet. Since its inception, the bulletin's doomsday clock has been measured in minutes and was set two minutes to midnight in 2018, the closest it had been to midnight since 1953, a time when both the US and the Soviet Union had tested hydrogen bombs. It has been set as far away from midnight as 17 minutes to midnight at the end of the Cold War. When the board kept the clock at two minutes to midnight in 2019, we argued then that the global situation was abnormal and that this new abnormal was simply too volatile and too dangerous to accept as a continuing state of world affairs. Today, we feel no more optimistic. In fact, both the nuclear and climate conditions are worsening, and we note that over the last two years, we have seen influential leaders denigrate and discard the most effective methods for addressing complex threats, international agreements with strong verification regimes in favor of their own narrow interests and domestic political gain. By undermining cooperative science and law-based approaches to managing the most urgent threats to humanity, leaders have helped to create a situation that will, if unaddressed, lead to catastrophe sooner rather than later. It would be a privilege and an honor to move the hands of the doomsday clock away from midnight, but our current situation does not warrant that. The doomsday clock continues to tick forward, requiring us to recalibrate both our clock and the urgency we bring to today's challenges. As far as the bulletin and the doomsday clock is concerned, the world has entered into a realm of a two-minute warning, a period when danger is high and the margin for error is low. To move the clock closer to midnight moves us into a period that requires newfound vigilance and focus from leaders and citizens alike, as if every second matters. The moment demands attention and new creative responses. If decision makers continue to fail to act, pretending that being inside the two minutes is no more urgent than the preceding period, citizens around the world should rightfully echo the words of climate activist Greta Thunberg and ask, how dare you? With this in mind, I'd like to now ask Jerry Brown, Mary Robinson, and Ban Ki-moon to approach the clock to reveal the 2020 time. Today, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists moves the hands of the doomsday clock. It is 100 seconds to midnight. Thank you. I now invite members of the Bulletin Science and Security Board to provide the key findings of the Bulletin's report that is now available on our website at thebulletin.org. After the presentation of key findings, we will welcome Bon Ki-moon, Jerry Brown, and Mary Robinson to the dais to discuss how leaders and citizens around the world must respond. So by way of introduction, Robert Rosner is the chair of the Bulletin Science and Security Board and the William E. Rather Distinguished Service Professor in the Departments of Astronomy and Astrophysics and Physics and the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Dr. Rosner has served as the director of Argonne National Laboratories, where he had also served as chief scientist. Sharon Squassoni is a research professor at the Institute of International Science and Technology Policy at the Elliott School of International Affairs at George Washington University. Shivankartha Kartha is a senior scientist at the Stockholm Environmental Institute. He is a lead author of the upcoming IPCC Sixth Assessment Report to be released in 2021. Robert Latif, a retired United States Air Force Major General, is a fellow at the University of Notre Dame Institute of Advanced Study. He is a member of the Intelligence Community Studies Board of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. Dr. Rosner.
3: Thank you. Uh, My name is Robert Rosner, and I am Chair of the Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. The Doomsday Clock is being set at 100 seconds to midnight. The fact that the doomsday clock hands now sit a mere hundred seconds from midnight signals really bad news indeed. What we have called the new abnormal last year, a dismal state of affairs in the realms of nuclear security and climate change, now has become an apparently enduring, disturbing reality in which things are not getting better. We have indeed normalized a very dangerous world in terms of the risks of nuclear warfare and climate change. A particular concern is the undermining of the public's ability to sort out what's true from what's patently false by information warfare, subverting our ability to arrive at a consensus on the solutions needed to achieve positive change. Past experience has taught us, even during the most dismal periods of the Cold War, we can as a people come together to address our challenges. and It is now high time to do so again. I would now like to turn it over to my colleagues who serve on the Bulletin Science and Security Board to highlight the many topics we did consider when setting the 2020 Doomsday Clock.
1: Thank you, I'm Sharon Squassoni and I'm going to cover the nuclear portion. Um, I have to admit at first, we set the clock in November. This was before recent military actions by the US and Iran. Uh, Iran's statement or threat that it might leave the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty and North Korea's abandonment of talks with the United States. The time we set reflects the considered judgment by the board that we are rapidly losing our bearings in a nuclear weapons landscape that may expand beyond our recognition. And recent events only confirm our view that it is 100 seconds to midnight. The arms control agreements that bounded our worldview, that shaped deterrence in the arms race, may be gone by next year. It is too dangerous to sleepwalk through this newly unstable environment. And we urgently need realistic steps to deal with the following developments. On Iran. Since the U.S. withdrew from the Iran nuclear agreement, Iran has slowly been reducing its compliance. Throughout 2019, Iran increased its stockpile of low-enriched uranium, increased its uranium enrichment levels, and added new and improved centrifuges. Early in January, Iran announced it would no longer observe limits imposed under the Iran nuclear deal on the number of centrifuges that it uses to enrich uranium. This high-stakes game of poker with the remaining members of the deal recently backfired. Iran wanted the other members to make good on their promises of lifting sanctions and increasing investment, but the opposite happened. Germany, the UK, and France could no longer ignore Iran's actions and triggered the dispute resolution process under the deal. Iran then announced it would withdraw from the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty if the Europeans took it further to the United Nations. So this year could see not just the complete collapse of the Iran nuclear deal, but also a significant blow to the nuclear non-proliferation treaty. On North Korea, since 2018, there's been hope that despite the odds, Mr. Trump's unorthodox approach might actually bring North Korea to the negotiating table. And despite an early summit in Hanoi last year and subsequent working level meetings, no real progress ensued. And so by the end of 2019, Chairman Kim Jong-un announced that he would demonstrate a new strategic weapon and indicated that North Korea would forge ahead without sanctions relief. Until now, the willingness of both sides to continue a dialogue was positive, but Chairman Kim seems to have lost faith in President Trump's negotiating ability. And in an election year, it's not clear how much attention the Trump administration can afford to pay to North Korea. The third area is arms control. The U.S. officially withdrew from the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty in 2019, citing Russian violations and a need to counter Chinese nuclear and conventional intermediate range missiles. The U.S. has not yet agreed to extend New START, which is a seminal treaty that limits U.S. and Russian deployed strategic nuclear weapons and delivery systems, although Russia has been requesting this since 2017. And even though such a step is easy and benefits the United States, without New START, an extension of New START, the new Russian nuclear-tipped hypersonic avant-garde missile will be unconstrained. And amid rumors that Mr. Trump disliked the Open Skies Treaty, Congress passed a bill to force the President to wait four months if he sought to withdraw. The Open Skies Treaty provides aerial overflights to build confidence and transparency around the world. On the other hand, U.S. negotiators are enthusiastic about convincing China to engage in arms control, which is unfortunately not reciprocated either by China or Russia. The three countries disagree on whether to pursue negotiations on outer space, missile defenses, and cyber warfare. But one of the few issues they do agree on, they all oppose the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, which opened for signature in 2017. Without conscious efforts to reinvigorate arms control, the world is headed into an unregulated nuclear environment. No one should want a return to the intense arms race that characterized the early decades of the nuclear age. Yet the means are there. The U.S. and Russia have massive stockpiles of warheads and fissile material in reserve from which to draw if they choose. And should China decide to build up to U.S. and Russian arsenal levels, a development previously dismissed as unlikely, but now being debated, deterrence calculations could become more complicated, making the situation more dangerous. An unconstrained North Korea, coupled with a more assertive China, could further destabilize Northeast Asian security. And an Iran that no longer sees the non-proliferation treaty membership as being in its interest is an even more destabilizing actor in the Middle East. So in sum, the situation is extremely dangerous and demands an emergency response. Shiva.
4: Thank you. I'm Shivan Kartha, also with the Science Security Board. I'll speak primarily to climate change. The state of the world does indeed demand an emergency r- response. And so for the first time, we've decided to set the doomsday clock past the two-minute mark to 100 seconds. When that two-minute benchmark was first reached, but not past, in 1953, the sole consideration of the bulletin was the nuclear threat, and the prospect of human caused climate change was mere academic curiosity. But since that time, greenhouse gas pollution from burning fossil fuels that humankind has dumped into the atmosphere has risen sixfold. Not surprisingly, the Earth has warmed about a degree centigrade. And if we do nothing to curb our greenhouse pollution, the Earth will warm by another few degrees. A few degrees might not sound like anything to worry about, much less like an emergency. But let me put it in perspective. During the depths of the last ice age, the Earth was only a few degrees colder. Yet its surface was utterly transformed. Seas were hundreds of feet lower, and their margins were far from the coastal communities where now a third of the world's population lives. Their waters were locked up in ice sheets miles thick, covering large areas of land where major cities now stand. As the earth warmed out of that frigid state, it only took five degrees of warming to melt those ice sheets, raise sea levels, and rearrange ecosystems across the continents. It drove many species extinct and allowed others to flourish humankind was one of those species that flourished as the Earth settled into a comfortable and stable climate that, as it turned out, was hospitable to the emergence of organized human civilization. If the Earth warms by what we tend to think of as just a few degrees, if humankind pushes the climate into the opposite of an ice age, whatever exactly that is, or even pushes the climate halfway there, We have no reason to be confident that such a world will remain hospitable to human civilization. To test the limits of Earth's habitable temperature is madness. It's a madness akin to the nuclear madness that is again threatening the world. Even at only one degree of warming, people across the world are witnessing, are suffering the impacts. In case we've forgotten what this past year brought, India was ravaged by record-breaking heat waves and by record-breaking floods, and both took heavy tolls on human lives. Wildfires raged from the Arctic to Australia. They now persist with an unprecedented intensity, extent, and duration that makes them harder to contain, causes more harm to people in their homes, it destroys the land's ability even to recover. The very idea of a limited fire season is becoming a thing of the past, and communities from the Caribbean to Mozambique will be struggling for years to recover from the devastating hurricanes that pummeled them this past year, just as communities from the Philippines to Puerto Rico are still struggling to recover from intense hurricanes of earlier years. Despite these devastating warnings. And although some governments are echoing many scientists' use of the term climate emergency, their policies are hardly commensurate to an emergency. The highly anticipated UN Climate Action Summit in September fell far short of Secretary General Antonio Guterres' request that countries come, quote, not with beautiful speeches but with concrete plans. The negotiations in Madrid that followed in December were no better. A UN report was released underscoring what was already well known. Pledges to curb greenhouse gases that governments committed to pursue by 2030 under the Paris Climate Agreement, they would need to be scaled up eightfold to be consistent with the agreed aim of keeping warming well below two degrees. And now with five years past since that celebrated Paris breakthrough, only ten years remain to achieve such cuts. We're far off course The greenhouse gas pollution continues to rise, reaching record levels this past year. When science and plain arithmetic are clear, emissions need to head towards zero. There's no question this is an emergency. The hope that humankind may yet shift course does exist. It lies in the fact that more and more people are grasping the reality of that emergency. And this is despite the active disinformation campaigns that continue to obscure the clarity of the scientific consensus on climate change, and despite some leaders' willingness to attend to and even amplify that disinformation. The engagement, activism, and protest that's emerging now is akin to the movements triggered by nuclear disaster and nuclear weapons fears in the 70s and 80s. The Bulletin takes heart in this mounting insistence that our leaders heed the science and begin acting like this is the emergency that it is.
5: I'm Robert Latif, a member of the Science and Security Board. I'll discuss information warfare and some other disruptive technologies. For sure, nuclear war and climate change are indeed existential threats to humanity. Yet there are other developments in technology that pretend a dangerous global instability. Cyber-enabled information warfare strikes at the very heart of what makes human interaction possible, information and trust. Add to that artificial intelligence, hypersonic weapons, biological threats, and the movement of conflict to outer space, and we have a witch's brew of ingredients for global conflict. The continued use in 2019 of untruths, exaggerations, and misrepresentations by world leaders in response to what they deem fake news has made worse an already dangerous situation. Active political antagonism by government towards science and disdain for expert opinion create fear and doubt regarding well-established science about climate change and other urgent challenges. In 2019, for example, hostility toward experts manifested itself in the wholesale trashing of respected science advisory boards. The US administration ordered that one-third of the existing science committees be disbanded. The emergence of so-called deep fakes, audio and video recordings that are essentially undetectable as false, threatens to further undermine the ability to separate truth from fiction. And the resulting falsehoods hold the potential to create economic, social, and military chaos. Senior world leaders publishing doctored videos and photos of political adversaries seem to set a horrible example of what may come next. If nuclear weapons, climate change, and information warfare weren't bad enough, other new technologies aggravated the danger in 2019. Genetic engineering and synthetic biology technologies are now increasingly affordable and spreading rapidly. Dangerous regimes continue to work on potential pathogens. Artificial intelligence develops at a frenzied pace. In addition to the concern about its use in weapons that make kill decisions, AI is now being used in or planned for military command and control systems. In 2019, the U.S. Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency initiated work on a battlefield system that can decide and act on its own, and Russia announced a successful field test of its AI-controlled combat command and control system. There is increasing investment in hypersonic weapons that will severely limit the times available to targeted nations and create a dangerous degree of ambiguity and uncertainty that could lead to rapid escalation. At a minimum, these weapons are highly destabilizing and presage a new arms race. In 2019, Russia announced the deployment of the avant-garde hypersonic missile glide vehicle, and the U.S. successfully tested a hypersonic cruise missile. Meanwhile, space has become a new arena for weapons development with multiple countries testing and deploying anti-satellite, or ASAT, capabilities. In the United States, creating a new military service, the Space Force, one of whose main goals is to prepare for space combat. In 2019, the U.S. Secretary of the Air Force publicly threatened to conduct a show of force in space. India tested a kinetic ASAT. Russia launched yet another inspector satellite capable of close approaches, and the US administration called for plans to station missile defense interceptors in orbit. Physicists discussed the concept of unstable equilibrium in which a system, if pushed only slightly, will accelerate away from equilibrium, and I underline accelerate away, in an attempt to reach a lower energy state. Just as in physics, so too can a fragile global peace be upset by a seemingly minor event, It seems the world is a pressure cooker in which a disturbance or an imperfection somewhere could create such an event. The military is already under enormous stress with multiple repeated deployments. The system is highly complex, heavily computer controlled, and tightly networked. Combined with the recent more aggressive and bellicose posture of the most highly armed countries, an uneasy equilibrium exists around the world. It is a high-energy system that only requires a simple mistake somewhere in a world bristling with weapons for a war to start and escalate catastrophically. For a variety of reasons that include a corrupted and manipulated media environment, democratic governments and other institutions that should be working to address these threats have failed to rise to the challenge, and that must change.
0: That was Dr. Robert Lateef from the University of Notre Dame speaking at the January 23rd, 2020 press conference held by the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists about the resetting of the Doomsday Clock. Nuclear weapons, international disequilibrium, climate change, cyber-enabled information warfare. That makes it now just 100 seconds before midnight.